Jiminy Crickets. Jiminy Cricket is the name. I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow. Always getting in wrong for singing my song. A merry old soul am I. Jiminy Cricket is the name. I'll be hanging around this evening. I'll be tipping my hat and telling you that Jiminy Cricket is the name. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 86 of Jiminy Crickets. How are you doing, Ruth? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. This week, we're going to delve into one of our main topic discussions, and we're going to talk about a Disney classic which just recently celebrated its 50th anniversary, the one, the only, The Jungle Book. So let's skip ahead. Well, The Jungle Book is actually the very last animated film that Walt Disney worked on personally. He unfortunately passed away while the film was still under production, but he was heavily involved in this uh, film. In fact, he was more involved in The Jungle Book than he had been in the previous three animated films that had come out before The Jungle Book, and you can even argue the previous five or six animated films that came out prior to The Jungle Book, where he was so involved in other activities that he kind of let animation take care of itself, and he just kind of left it to the animators. He was involved, but he wasn't as involved as he had been in the earlier years, where animation was the main focus of Walt Disney Productions. So from like the mid-50s up to The Jungle Book, Walt Disney had kind of lost interest, found other areas that he was more focused on. But what happened was The Sword and the Stone, which came out in 1963, was a big flop financially and it just didn't live up to the Disney standard as far I mean it is it has a lot of great things about it don't get me wrong but as an overall film it's definitely a failure it the story is very all over the place the character development is in many of the characters are well developed but a lot of them are just like very strange and you never it's just an odd film and it doesn't it really has never really lived up to what the other Disney animated features are. And so Walt Disney said to himself, whatever we do next, I'm definitely going to be more involved than I was on the Sword and the Stone. He learned from that mistake, basically. So he was, in fact, very, very involved in The Jungle Book. More so than he had been probably since uh, Lady and the Tramp. Or probably even Cinderella, if you really think about it. And it shows. You can definitely see Walt Disney's touch in this film. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the same, yeah, the same can be said for he kind of stepped away from film in general until Mary Poppins came Mm -hmm. along. And then he got really heavy into that 
Mary Poppins. So uh, that really says something about Walt because the f the films that he was really heavy involved in are amazing. Yeah, it's the ones where he was kind of off doing his Disneyland World's Fair thing instead that kind of weren't as spectacular as you would expect from Walt. Yes, because he, he was really... putting all of his genius into these amazing attractions. Right, exactly. His focus was lay elsewhere. But that being said, The Jungle Book was uh, based on a late 19th century book written by Rudyard Kipling. Um, and this book had each chapter in, in this book was a separate story. But it all revolved around Mowgli, the man-cub, who was left to be raised by wolves um, in the jungles of India. And it should be mentioned that Rudyard Kipling uh, was born in... He, he was English, but his father was living in India when Rudyard was born. So he grew up in India as a um, young child probably about 10 years old they, he went back to England with his family but he returned to India and worked there um, for several years during his adult life so he was very versed in the culture of India but he definitely looked at it from a uh, British perspective a lot of his works are not that um, flattering to the people of India <laughs> to say the least um, Kind of, he kind of looks at them as second-class citizens, but this is really not the case in the Jungle Book because this, uh, as compared to some of his other works, because this was more focused on Mowgli the Man Cub and not really a political exercise in the white man versus the Indian man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that being said, the original stories were not very funny necessarily. They were written for children. But they were more of moral stories about right and wrong, kind of like Aesop's fables. And it had interesting characters, but there was not, you know, and it appealed to children, but it was not an out laugh riot like the Disney version became. Mm -hmm. So originally, uh, Walt had the same person who uh, wrote the script, the screenplay, for the um, Sword in the Stone, Bill Pete, he had him do a treatment for the Jungle Book, and he teamed up with uh, songwriter Terry Gilkison to write some songs, and they were very well into the project, and their version was very close to what the original Rudyard Kipling the feeling they had changed this and they made it more of a story with a beginning middle and end unlike Rudyard Kipling were more a series of short stories all based on the same characters but he very much kept the same feeling of the original stories very dark you know um, a lot of heavy themes and the music for the most part with one exception which we will definitely talk about that were written by Terry Gilkison were also very dark and kind of heavy material and after the disaster of the sword and the stone and it really was a disaster for Walt let's be honest it has its high points like you know the witch's duel 
um, mm-hmm. which we all love with Mad Madam Mim. Mm-hmm. But it definitely, overall, the film is not a successful film if you look mm-hmm. at it from a critical perspective. So Walt was well aware of that. So he was very cautious about working with Bill Pete again on a feature, an animated feature. So he kind of was micromanaging Bill Pete. And uh, it actually ended up in a whole blowout where Bill Pete left the Disney studio in, in anger. Um, after working for that, for the studio from the very beginning, like there would have been 10 old men if he hadn't left. I mean, he was big into, you know, he was major. Um, for him to leave was a big deal. But um, Walt just didn't like the direction Bill Pete was going in. And Bill Pete refused to change his direction. And you don't argue with a man like Walt <laughs> Disney. No. Nope. Because you know who's going to win that argument. So Bill Pete actually ended up leaving the, st- the company after all that. And after the dust had settled, Walt turned to Milt Call to take over the duties of producing uh, The Jungle Book. And Milt Call, also not everybody's favorite because he was known to be a little bit bossy and temperamental. But um, at least he he did what Walt requested of him and didn't argue with Walt. Um, So Walt kind of took a new team of uh, people in the studio who were not involved in the original direction of the Jungle Book and he took them into a room and he held up a book. He said, has anybody ever (laughs) read this book? And everybody's like, no, I've heard of it, but I never read it. He said, good, don't read it. (laughs) He said, what I want is something light, something fun, something Disney. He wanted the book to be a jumping off point, but he wanted to go in a completely different, a Disney fun storytelling direction. The Sherman brothers were in that meeting, and Robert Sherman said that he had read the book when he was little, but he doesn't remember it, but he had seen the the old film with Sabu, who played Mowgli, Um, And he remembered it was kind of dark and mysterious and said, yeah, that's exactly what we don't want. So he said, I want you guys to write songs, but there's one song we're going to keep that Terry Gilkison wrote. I hope you're okay with that. And he said, yeah, fine, that's fine. And the one song they kept from Terry was, of course, what was that, Ruth? The Bare Necessities. Right. Which was kind of one of the most uh, famous Disney songs of all time now. Yeah. It was nominated for Academy Award. Right. It was, in fact. And it lost to Talk to the Animals from the uh, Dr. Doolittle, which came out the same year. So anyway, they um, went back and wrote several songs. And the interesting thing about the development of the Jungle Book is they went, they kind of did it in a strange way, which is not really how they had done it in the past, exactly. They kind of wrote the story as they went along. They went scene by scene, and the story sort of evolved out of the creative process. It evolved out of what actors were chosen to do the voices, mm-hmm. evolved out of the songs that the Sherman brothers wrote. And just everybody threw out 
ideas and and just it over time it just evolved into what it became which is a very interesting way to make a film and i don't think that's done very often but (laughs) it was i think it came out really well whatever they did it worked (laughs) because i feel that it's the other thing is that it's not a complicated story the main focus on this film is not the story but on characters Mm -hmm. and on music yes and action and, and comedy and the things that these characters get involved with. Mm-hmm. The story is just a device to bring you from one scene to the next so that you can have more fun with these characters. Yeah, and you can run into new characters and things like right. that. Right. And and that's it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz where you're going with the main, like Bagheera and then Mowgli and then they run into Baloo and then he joins them and then at, throughout the story they run into more characters along mm-hmm. the way. But let's talk about the cast. Yes. I think what sets the Jungle Book apart from and and Disney did dabble in this in previous animated features, but it was never the primary focus where the actors were well known well established and and people knew the voices going into it Mm -hmm. they knew uh louis prima they knew phil harris they you know they knew these voices going in sebastian cabot etc so they really based the characters on the voices rather than creating the character and then finding the voice to fit the character which had been their previous process they kind of they flipped it around and did it the other way around yeah um and this is a practice that they sort of held on to throughout the 70s because if you look at uh, the aristocats robin hood and uh even the rescuers that was kind of still going on mm-hmm. and you could even argue that this sort of started with the winnie the pooh series because a lot of those voices were sort of well known as well mm-hmm. uh, but it really hit its stride with the jungle book for sure yeah. so um first of all uh mowgli apparently they had hired someone else to play mowgli originally and he had recorded a good deal of the script but they had changed a lot of it and they needed him to come back and re-record and add new stuff to it but his voice had changed <laughs> so they had to find someone else <laughs> so he no longer talked like this you talk like yeah, this <laughs> right exactly so they they did have a casting call but the one that they settled on was actually Wolfgang Reitherman's son um, Bruce Ritherman, who played Mowgli, and he had actually also previously done the voice for Christopher Robin in the first episode of the Winnie the Pooh short subjects, Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, which had been released in 66. But when they he recorded this before, like they were both in production at the same time. So he kind of recorded his Christopher Robin stuff and shortly thereafter he recorded his Mowgli stuff. But the reason I hear that they picked Bruce Reitherman is because his voice was very natural and didn't sound like an actor. It sounded like a real boy. Mm-hmm. It sounded like he was, he was very 
believable as a real little 10-year-old boy. And I would have to agree with that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. In Christopher Robin and in this movie, he definitely sounds right. just like a regular boy. Right. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Cabot, who was a hefty British man, he played uh, the butler on a very popular sitcom called uh, Family Affair in the 60s. So he was really well-known at this time. And he had also done the voice of the narrator for Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, and consequently would do the voiceover for all the other Pooh shorts from the 60s and 70s. And he became sort of the narrator of this film also, but he also played the character of Bagheera, the Black Panther. But he has a very refined British-sounding voice, a very likable type of a voice. But, you know, you put him up against... I was thinking about this today. And tell me if you agree with this, Ruth. Okay. Um, This came out, like, right before The Odd Couple. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that Baloo and Bagheera are like the original odd couple. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I never thought about that, but now you mention it, that's true. Because that is so Seb- funny. Sebastian Cabot's character of Bagheera was very like refined and everything had mm-hmm. to be, you know, by the rules and in a set way. And Baloo, of course, was kind of the lazy, yep. um, kind of carefree is the right yeah. word. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Baloo is a sloth bear and they wanted to like go in a really strange direction. Walt Disney was at a cocktail party and he ran into um, Phil Harris and he sort of made a mental note. And at the next uh, meeting regarding who was going to do the voice of Baloo, Walt suggested, why don't we use Phil Harris? And everyone was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> they didn't understand what, what, why he thought that was the right fit for that. And the word got out to Phil Harris, and he sort of said, you know, I don't, I don't feel that I am the voice of an animated bear. I don't really feel comfortable. No, thank you. Um, and they said, they went back to him and they said, Walt won't take no for an answer. He really wants you to play this part. So he went in and he read some of the lines and he said, you know, this just isn't me. So, um, Wolfgang Reitherman said, well, how would you say it? And so... Phil Harris said, well, I would just like, you know, what are these monkeys doing here? This is monkey business. <laughs> um, that kid's going to knock your blog off. You know, he did his Phil Harris thing. <laughs> and Wolfgang said, that's perfect. That's exactly what we want. So he went on to do three major voices for Disney. Baloo, Thomas O'Malley, and of course, Little John from Robin Hood. He became very involved in animation after yeah. that. But they wanted phil harris to play himself in fact pretty much every character and what made it interesting is they weren't they were more playing themselves than playing the character and the character developed out of the personality of the actor's voice playing that role which was sort of a new thing a new direction for disney so the other character george sanders 
who played Shere Khan, he was like, um, they were just kind of throwing ideas on what the personality of Shere Khan could or should be. And one of the animators, one of the, you know, the people designing the character said, well, maybe he could be kind of like a George Sanders type character where he's kind of British and snobby and elegant, you know, and just, you know, kind of like that elegant evil, you know. And Walt overheard this said, you know, George Sanders is a friend of mine. If I asked him to do the voice, I'm sure he'd do it. So that was how that character came out. <laughs> they just like, all right, there we go. <laughs> I love his voice as Shere oh, Khan. Yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's got that very deep, charismatic British voice. He's like... He's kind of like Moriarty type mm -hmm. from from he's like that genius villain type, you know, but he's very refined and sophisticated in his movements, which is perfect for a tiger because tigers just move very elegantly. You know, even though they're a murder machine, basically, they walk around like very smooth and cool. There's a reason why they call it a cool cat, mm -hmm. you know. He is perfectly cast for that. And I would argue that out of all the characters in this film, that was probably the most incredibly animated as far as the voice matching. His, the look of that character really looks... If you look at a picture of George Sanders next to Shere Khan, it's almost like, of course, you know, it's a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. they, they look like the same thing. King Louis is not from the original books. Did you know that, Ruth? I did. They created that character specifically for the Disney film, and he was an orange orangutan. <laughs> 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 and um, he's only in one scene, but it's a pivotal scene, and kind of oh, yeah. sets the theme for the rest of the picture, which is centered around man being able to create fire when animals don't have that ability and Shere Khan's only fear is fire so it all kind of ties in and that is related to the original book that whole fire theme is is straight from the book they came up with the name King Louie before and originally it was just Louie the king of the monkeys and then they called him King Louie after they found the voice for him so they wanted to make his name more jazzy um, and the actor who played him he wasn't really an actor he's more of a famous singer and band leader Louis mm -hmm. Prima who um, was kind of a wild character and had a very you know fun loving aura about him he had a famous Las Vegas nightclub act that uh, and he had a very distinctive vocal quality, very raspy, very um, over the top style to him. And one thing I wanted to bring up, Ruth, if it's okay, sure, is that people who don't know who these actors were, people that are younger than you and I and didn't mm -hmm. grow up learning about these things, will go on YouTube and make videos about this particular character and call him racist. Hmm. Because they feel that he is making fun of or he's a 
a caricature of black people mm-hmm. and saying black people are monkeys and that whole thing. This is not true because, first of all, Louis Prima was Italian. <laughs> and the voice that he did was him. He wasn't putting on a voice to make fun of anybody. That was his natural voice. That was his persona. He did. He wasn't playing a character. He was playing himself. Mm-hmm. And to... to go on YouTube and make a video about how Walt Disney was a racist and here's an example. No, no. I I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. They use this King Louie as an example of how Walt Disney was a racist. Now my argument is you're a racist because that was an Italian man. Yeah. And he wasn't, and he was playing himself so you're prejudging so I just I when I just wanted to throw that out there for all you listeners to you know don't always believe everything you hear look into the facts before you absorb all the garbage the quote unquote fake news that's out there yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean because as we're saying these characters were created based off of these people who provided the vocal you know right. voices exactly. So, they wouldn't have created King Louis to be any other way unless right. it was based off of somebody else. Right. So next we want to talk about J. Pat O'Malley, who played Colonel Hothy, the elephant, the leader of the elephants. Again, he had a very British voice. He reminds me of like those people in India back at the turn of the 20th century that would wear the pith helmets and carry a big elephant gun and be all hoity-toity snobby yeah type <laughs> that's kind of his character and he also played one of the vultures which we'll talk about in a minute um sterling holloway ruth what do you know about um that gentleman known as sterling holloway what what's his affiliation with disney well it goes way back way back to the yes. beginning he actually was considered to be the voice of Sleepy in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but eventually it went to Pinto Colvig instead. But right. since then, I mean, he's done so many classic Disney characters, starting with the Stork in Dumbo, Mr. Stork. Right. And he actually reprised that role of the Stork in Lambert the Sheepish Lion. Yes. Yes, he did. Right. He He's done Flower in Bambi. Yes. He's done, he was the narrator in Peter and the Wolf. Right, I forgot about that one. <laughs> he also did the record album of it. Oh yes, that's classic. He did a lot of Disney records. He did the classic voice of the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. That's probably my favorite, yeah. Yeah. He plays Ka the Snake in this movie, and here's my yeah. favorite, Roquefort in the Aristocats. Oh, you left one out. You left a couple out, actually, but one major. He was Winnie the Pooh. Oh, Winnie the Pooh, of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he also played Amos the Mouse in Ben and Me. Remember oh, that yeah. one? Yes. Yeah. He did a lot of voiceover, too, for different shorts and things. He had just such a lovable voice. He was just mm-hmm. such a lovable man in general. He was a great storyteller. Disney used him in a lot of children's albums where he would just sit down with children and tell nursery rhymes and Aesop's fables just 
such an endearing, charming man and such a beautiful voice. And you can definitely see that in the character that he plays in this movie because it, it translates into that character. Yeah, he's a man. He's an evil character, but he's just so charming. Yeah. And he really, one fun thing about it is how he emphasizes his S's. Yeah. Everything is psychrociliac. And then one of the things he brought to the part was the whole backache thing. He said, when, when Walt asked him if he would do this part, he said, Yeah, and a snake would have like a really long backache. <laughs> and Walt loved that. Yeah. <laughs> he, I always thought it was he, funny and... The one part where the second time that he gets pushed out of the tree, he goes, oh, my sacriliac. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they used every opportunity to give him words that started with an S. <laughs> so he could emphasize that like a snake. Some of the um, uh, honorable mentions here, some of the smaller roles. Verna Felton played um, the Colonel Hothi's wife, and she's a Disney legend because... She did a lot of, well, first of all, she was the fairy godmother in mm -hmm. Cinderella. And then she was um, Fauna in Sleeping Beauty, mm -hmm. one of the three good fairies. So she was a well-loved Disney voice. You know, She was also the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland. That's right. I forgot. The Queen of Hearts. That's probably my favorite of the three. And yeah, <laughs> I forgot all about it. Um, another fun thing is Clint Howard. Ron Howard's little brother. He did the voice of um, Junior, the Colonel Hothi's uh, son, the little elephant boy. Clint Howard was in a lot of uh, sitcoms and things in the 60s, and he's still active. He's been in a few B films, you know, funny, silly films. He's a good actor. He's really, he's a great character actor. Mm-hmm. Well, I should mention the human girl at the end of the film that sings the My Own Home. She was played by Darlene Carr, who was uh, involved in some of the um, Mickey Mouse Club subsidiary stuff that they did. Because the Mickey Mouse Club was redone kind of for syndication in the 60s, where they showed a lot of the original footage, but then they filmed a lot of new footage to kind of put in with the old original footage when it was put into you know syndication in the 60s and she was involved in that and uh one day she was kind of walking down the path of the disney studio and one of the people involved with the jungle she was kind of singing to herself just kind of like walking around singing to herself you know she's a young teenage girl and um he said, would you come in and uh, do this? I need a female voice because I just we just wrote the song and we need to do like a sample of the song for Walt. So we need a female to sing it. So you have a pretty good voice. We just heard you singing. So come in and record this for us. And it wasn't a professional recording. It was just like a, you know, like a sample recording that they do before they, you know, just to get an idea. So she did that like a year went by and they were trying to decide who they wanted to do that voice and Walt said why don't you just use the girl that you used to do the that other recording hmm. so they found her and 
she became the the um girl. I she actually has a name. I forget what it is. It's not mentioned in the film, but in some of the books they wrote about the film. And I think it might... Well, she was a character written for the film by Disney. She wasn't in the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do know that she has a name. I don't remember what it was. I think I found it. Shanti. That's right. You're right. Now, what's interesting is, if you go listen to The Sweep Spot, which is a podcast I was recently a guest on... And I didn't even make this connection until I was looking at this today. But I was talking about a group called Skiles and Henderson, who were Disneyland performers, and they were stand-up comedians that went around Disneyland entertaining guests. They also led a band called the Disneyland Doodlers. They actually were two of the monkeys in the Jungle Book. Oh, how funny. I didn't funny. make that connection. So Bill Skiles and Pete Henderson were two of the monkeys, and they were also regular live performers in Disneyland. Huh. Um, and then um, we should talk about the vultures a little bit. Yeah. Because originally, they wanted the Beatles <laughs> to do the voice of the vultures. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean... I think that would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have. That And that goes... It explains why they actually tried to make them sound similar to what they would have sounded. And they have they that really moppy hairstyle. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Originally, their sense was that they wanted the vultures to be kind of like, because they were going in the direction of all these actors being the step-off point for building the character around the voice. So they wanted to kind of do that same thing with the vultures, but have the Beatles be the vultures. And... The Sherman Brothers wrote a song with the Beatles in mind called That's What Friends Are For, not to be confused by the Dionne Warwick song from the 80s, <laughs> which is a different song. Yeah. Um, originally, they had written it, and I have heard it played. The word I was looking for earlier is demo recording. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't yeah. think of that. And I've heard the demo recording that they recorded in that rock and roll, like, Beatles style of the Mm. same song. Mm -hmm. And it works in that style. But when they couldn't get the Beatles, they decided to just play it as a barbershop ballad instead. Which, some people say it would have dated the film. But, do we really think the Beatles are dated? I mean, they're still popular today. I think it would have added to the film, really. Definitely. Definitely to have, like, John Lennon's voice in that movie. Oh, my gosh, that would have been... Yeah. Yeah. What's what's really silly about the whole thing is the Beatles were so, like, anti-being in a cartoon. They thought it would be bad for their image. It would make them look silly, trite. Yeah. One year later, the Yellow Submarine comes out. I know. So, I mean... <laughs> and they didn't even do the voices for those. Did you know that they didn't provide the voices... They sang the music, but they didn't do the voices of the characters in the Yellow Submarine. They had people sound alikes do their voices. Hmm. Was it the same people who did the vultures? <laughs> no, because they with the vultures, they had that uh, Liverpoolian accent, but they uh-huh. didn't try to mimic the Beatles. They, they just played it as, you know, different. One of them sounds like he's trying to sound just like Paul. Yeah, the he has tallest that nasally, one. Yeah, the one with yeah, the, the hair that covers his, his eyes. eyes. Yeah. Yeah. He right. sounds he like does. he's trying to sound like Paul. Right. And then the bald one doesn't even sound anything like a Beatle yeah. at all. Like yeah. he's like not even. <laughs> <laughs> 
but so they ended up singing the song as a, you know, as a barbershop ballad. But so what, what's interesting is leading up to the song, the whole scene has that heavy bass guitar mm-hmm. playing. Yep. Dong, 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 mm-hmm. dong, 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 dong. It sounds very Beatles. Yeah. Until they get to the song and then it's barbershop. <laughs> so it's like, where are you going? What's, can't make up your mind here. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of an interesting story, how that happened. So speaking of songs, you want to talk about some of the songs? Yes. Yeah, like we said, the um, only song that stuck around from the original treatment was The Bare Necessities. And I find it so hard to imagine that this this treatment was so dark and heavy how could they even have written have this song. that song yeah. as part of that because to me that's not at all the feeling you get from the song definitely not which is why they decided to keep it that's the only reason it didn't get <laughs> and even though the Sherman brothers did write wonderful songs you have to admit that is the the bare necessities is the runaway yeah from the strong one might argue i want to be like you but to me the bare necessities is the runaway hit from this film mm-hmm. but let's go in order of the songs the first song in the film is an instrumental which yes. was written by uh george bruns mm-hmm. but do you know the history behind the song we it talked about it on a different yeah. episode Right. We this song was not written for the Jungle Book originally. <laughs> what was it written for, Ruth? It was written for the New York World's Fair, the um Ford Magic Skyway. Um right. World what was that? This I forget the name of it again. Like the the area where it, it was playing. Inter- International yeah. Gardens, yeah. right. In the International Gardens in the pavilion before you got on the ride. Right. And it's called Serengeti Serenade. And they recycled it and used it as the main title for The Jungle Book. a beautiful instrumental piece it is and it fits perfectly it does it fits absolutely perfectly and you hear it again throughout the film in fact like disney is does often and a lot of other um movies do this is whenever a certain character is being highlighted they'll play a certain theme Mm-hmm. to highlight that or whenever a certain subject matter is brought up they'll play a certain theme for example whenever they start talking about the man village they play an instrumental theme of 
the song My Own Home, which is the song that is the last song in the film and is associated with the man village. So by the time you get to the actual song, your subconscious mind has already associated that theme with the man village. So right. it's kind of mm-hmm. a way to kind of foreshadow in a way what's going to happen later. But um, the first actual song with words is uh, a lot of people consider this their favorite song from the film. Not me, but a lot of people do. And it's the elephant song. Tell me about that song, Ruth. Uh, Colonel Hawthie's March. It's yep. the uh, March song that the um, elephant army sings as they're tramping through the jungle, led by Colonel Hawthie, who is J. Pat O'Malley. And it's like a military, like, I don't know what you've been yeah. told. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. It's a take on that. song kind of is describing their aim in life what their purpose is and basically their per- they have no purpose <laughs> their purpose is to march around and destroy the jungle with yeah. their ginormous size and <laughs> you know their goal is to march and drill they that's not they have no i mean <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make any sense but they're nonsense characters and they really don't serve any purpose and a lot of the plot is not served by the characters it's it's more of a diversion from the main story and it's all about character development and entertainment Mm -hmm. and i would argue that the elephants have nothing to do with the plot and they're just there for fun and it's probably one of the funniest scenes oh yeah 
yeah. when they're all lined up and he's doing an inspection <laughs> and like he, yep. he, yeah that's like hilarious it is um and it's just so much fun and that's what this movie is about it's not about the story it's about the journey and it's about the characters yep so the um next song in the film is the introduction to everybody's favorite baloo yes and that's the song we already talked about the bare necessities Look for the bare necessities the simple bare necessities forget about your worries and your strife i mean the bare necessities or mother nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life wherever i wander wherever i roam i couldn't be found off my big home the bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me when you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants then maybe try a few The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities. That's why a bear can rest at ease with just the bare necessities of life. Now when you pick a pawpaw or a prickly pear, and you prick a raw paw, well next time beware. Don't pick the prickly pear by the paw. When you pick a pear, try to use the claw. But you don't need to use the claw when you pick a pair of the big paw paw. Have I given you a clue? The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Just try and relax, yeah, cool it, fall apart in my backyard. Cause let me tell you something, little wretches, if you act like that bee acts, uh-uh, you're working too hard. And don't spend your time looking around for something you want that can't be found. 
When you find out you can live without it and go along not thinking about it, I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean it. This song is basically sharing the philosophy of the character Baloo, where, you know, I as long as I have what I need, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have... Yeah, that's kind of a good message. Yeah. You know, when I was listening to this again, when I was watching the movie, Uh I was listening to the song and watching him. And I'm like, this is the this is the inspiration for the song Hakuna Matata because it has the Uh exact same like logic. And yeah, they're talking about the exact same thing. Right. It means no worries. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the bare necessities is spelt B-A-R-E, not B-E-A-R. But it's a play on words because it's a bear that sings it. Yes. And it's a delightful scene in the film. It's so much fun. And it really creates the friendship that that is so strong between Mowgli and Mm -hmm. Baloo. And it also makes you fall in love with Baloo, just listening to the song. Right. It endears you to him Mm -hmm. right away. Yeah. My favorite part of the song is when he's doing the scratching. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And they're playing kind of like, kind of in kind of like a cha-cha rhythm. Mm-hmm. And he, as he's going around finding the, the best way to scratch. And then at the end, he's like, he finally hits that right spot. And he's just like, his whole body just tenses up in ecstasy. Yep. Like he got, he got that scratch he really needed. And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that high trumpet note that they do with the music. Yeah, it's perfect. Yep. And so um, the next song, uh, Mowgli has been whisked away suddenly by a bunch of uh, monkeys and brought to their leader, King Louie. And uh, King Louie sings a little song to Mowgli that you may have heard of called I Want to Be Like You. Yes. And basically, this is a song trying to tell Mowgli, I'll get, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'll let you stay in the jungle if you teach me the secret to fire. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of, that's really what the song is saying, but it's done in a very jazzy way. <laughs> yes. I love when King Louis is first shown on screen and he's sitting there, you know, just kind of sprawled across his uh, throne. And yeah. he's scatting, and it, just to himself, mm-hmm. like I just love like, that. How he's just, yep. I love that. How that, that how yeah. he's introduced. Right, and the drum beat is like yep. from the minute the scene starts till the end of the scene, which is probably the best scene in the whole film. Yes, that drum beat never stops. Yep. It's like doom doom It's just very jazzy, and the rhythm of the music takes you away from start to finish.
Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. I wanna be a man, man cop, and stroll right into town. And be just like the other men. I'm tired of walking around. Oh, ooby-doo. I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. Talk like you. You'll see it's true. And they like me. Can't learn to be human too. As man's red fire to make my dream come true. Now give me the secret, man cub. Come on, clue me what to do. Give me the power of man's red flower so I can be like you.
The animation is unbelievable. The monkeys and all the animation in this scene was really the inspiration was Louis Prima's band who had mm -hmm. come to the studio to perform the song and they all kind of marched around and moved around and the animators took all of this in and they created this whole number based on how it had been performed for them live by Louis Prima and his band. And when you see, there is footage of the actual, um, of Louis Prima doing this. And mm -hmm. when you look at that, and then you look at the actual animation, you like, wow, they really captured that. They spirit. did. Yeah. And, and I didn't, watching that scene actually helped me when I looked at the movie, you know, I never really put it two and two together where, you know, the, mm -hmm. the chimpanzees are kind of making their, per pursing their lips. And they're going mm -hmm. burr, 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 kind of like a horn sound, yeah. but they're doing it to imitate Louis Prima because he was playing the trumpet. Right, exactly. Because they they don't have instruments, so they're right. doing it in a way to kind of capture that without them having instruments. So the most interesting part about this number is when Baloo comes in. Of course, the whole Louis Prima bit had been recorded well in advance of. Um, Phil Harris coming in and doing his part of the song and in his part of the song He dresses up as a monkey he puts coconuts on his mouth and he puts on a grass skirt to create a diversion So that Bagheera can save Mowgli So he goes in and starts dancing around with the monkeys and singing with them So originally the plan was and how they had the Sherman brothers had written this is is to do what is called aping and aping in music, or in anything really, is when uh, somebody says something and then you say the same thing. Mm. So the original plan was for King Louis to say, Aribadabadiba, and then Baloo to say, Aribadabadiba. Mm -hmm. Like just repeat exactly what King Louis had said. But Phil Harris came in and said, No, 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 no. I'm Let me do, do it, it my, my way. way. Yep. <laughs> right. So instead of aping, he answered him in scat language. Mm. So uh, King Louis would go, Aribadabadi, and Baloo would go, Aribanaza, Abadobadoy, mm -hmm. Arabazini. So <laughs> that was all improvisation. It was not written, it was not planned. The whole thing was completely created by Phil Harris. And as, as you probably. Well, you may or may not know, the audience may or may not know, when they're animating, the, the voices come first. Yeah. So, after he recorded it, they did the whole scene around what Phil Harris had created with his performance. And it's, it's really fantastic. It is. It's a really great moment. I love it. I would argue it's one of the greatest moments in... Oh, yeah. Disney animation or any animation history, yes. that moment where King Louie and Baloo meet and yes. dance together. It's just, it's absolutely fantastic. It is. It's, I mean, yeah, you're right. Like, what else can you tell me that is like a classic scene like that that you can really think of? Right. I mean, the only thing I can compare it to is when Robin Williams did The Genie. Oh, yes. And mm -hmm. Aladdin, because all that was improvised too. Yes. Oh, I would definitely agree with you on that. <laughs> Phil Harris was the OG when it came to the improvisation bit. Because a lot of his dialogue, he took the main gist of what 
was written, but then he delivered it in his own vernacular, his own way, that only Phil Harris can do. You yeah. know, he had a very distinctive, and people knew Phil Harris. He wasn't, he was a singer, he was a band leader, but he was also well known because he was a character on the Jack Benny show. Mm hmm. He was one of the main characters on that old radio show, which was like the biggest show in the United States back in the 30s and 40s. So people in the 60s still remembered him from the Jack Benny show. So they knew that character. They knew that voice. He played the same character on the Jack Benny show that he played on the <laughs> Jungle Book. Um, so anyway, if you go if you go back and listen to those old Jack Benny shows, on, there a lot of them are on YouTube. They're great. I can't rec- I love Jack Benny. Hmm. It's fantastic comedy. Uh, anyway, the scene ends with a fantastic bit of animation where the whole ruined temple kind of collapses beneath King Louis as the chase is ensuing to rescue Mowgli. And, like, he's trying to hold up a pillar, and the whole thing <laughs> crumbles to the ground, and he's standing there holding up nothing at the end. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. It's funny how, like, Blue tickles him. Uh, I love yeah, that scene. <laughs> right. So anyway, the next song uh, is uh, the second appearance of Ka, the snake. And there's an interesting history behind this song. I do know this. You do know? Well, then you tell our audience where what this song was. Well, originally, so the song is called Trust in Me. Uh, obviously written by the Sherman brothers and originally it was a song well this song is based on on a song called Land of Sand that was written for Mary Poppins there was going to be a scene with a magic compass and this is from the um, Travers books where she had a magic compass instead of the scene where they went into the pavement drawing originally the plan was to have Mary Poppins have a magic compass where they went around the world. And one of the places they went was the land of sand, which is like the Arabian desert. Mm -hmm. And this was the song affiliated with that part of that scene. Um, But that all got cut, so the song got cut. But the Sherman brothers still had that in the back of their file cabinet, you know, to reference if they ever needed it at a later date. And when the, the... the fact they needed a song for the snake in the jungle book they were like hey why don't we use that song and put new lyrics to it i think i have like a demo of them of richard sherman singing land of sand it's not exactly the same but it sounds really close yeah yeah they released that on a lot of the jungle book official soundtrack cds they Mm -hmm. would release that as a bonus track so that's readily out there The original demo recording for The Land of Sand, as presented to Walt Disney for Mary Poppins. Here in the land of sand, nothing is what it seems. Visions may be the real things may be dreams secret 
secrets of all the ages hide in these sands of time. Here where the story of man began. Oh, be wise and beware what you see may not be can slip through your hand in the land of sand. The whole thing they wanted to do with the song was they wanted to emphasize those S sounds. So, trust in me, just in me so they kind of wrote the whole the lyrics around the idea that it was Ka the snake saying these so it's a lot of fun it's a great song it is his hypnotizing song (laughs) yeah trust in me just in me shut your eyes trust in me hold still please you can sleep safe and sound knowing I am around slip into silent slumber Fill on a silver mist Slowly and surely your senses will cease to resist Trust in me Just in me So the um, next song is That's What Friends Are For, which we already mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a barbershop ballad performed by the Vultures. And my favorite line in that song is, we've never met an animal we didn't like. Because <laughs> they're vultures, so obviously they have a reason to like pretty much every animal. Right. Because they eat the carcasses <laughs> of everything. So that kind of has like a double meaning. They meet right. you alive and not alive. <laughs> right, exactly. So that number's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I really like it. And at the end, Sheer Khan comes in and sings this really low note, which I love too. Right. And that actually, I found out today that that actually was not george sanders that sang that even though he could have he wasn't available when they needed him to record that so they just had somebody else do it but uh, it sounds like george sanders but oh that's what friends oh i can't even i know i know it's so low Yeah. It reminds me like of Thurl Ravenscroft kind of That's low. what I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say the same. We're your friends. We're your friends. We're your friends to the bitter end. The bitter end. 
When you're alone. When you're alone. Who comes around? Who comes around? To pluck you up. To pluck you up. When you are down. When you are down. And when you're outside looking in, who's there to open the door? That's what friends are for Who's always eager to extend A friendly claw That's what friends are for And when you're lost In dire need Who's at your side? At lightning speed We're friends with every creature Coming down the pike In fact we've never met an animal We didn't like Didn't like So you can see We're friends We're friends in need And friends in need Are friends in need Safe in the jungle forevermore. That's what friends are for. Of course, we've kind of hinted at this song too, but the final song from the film is My Own Home which uh, is sung by Shanti. And um, it's basically just a song about how she has to go fetch the water. And then when she grows up and has a daughter, her daughter will have to go out and fetch the water. (laughs) It's basically what the the whole song is. But the song is played as kind of an enticement to Mowgli because it's convincing Mowgli. She's flirting with him to leave the jungle and join her in the man village um because uh you won't find her type in the jungle (laughs) definitely not you can only have that if you go to the man village (laughs) so he is utterly and totally convinced by the time she's done singing her song (laughs) my own
So anyway, the um, animation in this film is unbelievable. And I watched a little bit about all this today to refresh my memory. And I would have to agree that Walt Disney was never a fan of the Xerox process. He did it out of necessity because animation, the whole ink and paint process, became so expensive that it, it almost became prohibitive. So... He kind of had to settle with the whole Xerox thing, which in essence, instead of having to trace all of the animator's drawings onto celluloid, you could take the original drawings and photocopy them onto the celluloid, saving a, a major step in the whole process. And then you could paint them on the celluloid that way. So instead of having someone trace the animator's original drawings, you were actually photocopying the original drawings right on to the celluloid. This created a much more sketchy looking quality, a lot more, you could see a lot more of the lines of the original drawings. Animators loved it, because that was their drawing on the screen now. Mm -hmm. That had never happened before. But Walt was never a fan. Hmm. Um, when they did... The last film that they did with the traditional ink and paint was Sleeping Beauty. The next film they did was 101 Dalmatians. This is the first time they used the Xerox process. And they really went all out with the sketchiness. Mm -hmm. Not only were the drawings, the characters had that sketchy quality, but all the backgrounds and, you know, all the props and everything had that 
same look to it. And Walt is, even though that film is beloved by many and was a huge box office success, Walt hated it. Huh. He hated that animation style. He never liked it. So by the time they got around to the Jungle Book, he really wanted them to kind of tone down that sketchiness. And in a lot of ways, if you compare the Jungle Book, even though it does still retain a lot of that quality to it, because you can't help but retain it with the technology they had then, it definitely was toned down from what had been done in 101 Dalmatians. And not only that, but the backgrounds were very... Um, they weren't sketchy at all. They, the, the leaves were very lush and full color. And I think Walt kind of pushed for that. He was trying to get away from that whole sketchy quality. Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson are credited as being probably responsible for animating about 50% of this film. They did a lot of the stuff with Mowgli and Baloo. Mm-hmm. And they kind of worked in tandem with each other. Frank Thomas is credited uh, with doing the um, final scene with the little girl, uh, My Own Home. Mm -hmm. And they chose him because he had a certain ability to take something and create kind of a heartwarming quality to it. And a lot of scenes he's credited with, you'll really see that come out. Another one that kind of comes to my mind is the scene from The Rescuers with the cat and Penny, mm-hmm. where they're talking about... That's a Frank Thomas scene right there in a nutshell. He has that that emotional quality to his, his animation. So they wanted him to do that little girl scene because they wanted her to be flirtatious and kind of sexy, but in a very innocent, childlike way. So it's not gross. It's right. not like... And I think he really captured that Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's nothing, there's nothing bad about, I mean, it's very innocent and, and well done. And it really needed that to be pulled off correctly. Because we're talking about 10-year-old, a 10-year-old little girl, a 10-year-old little boy. There's a certain fine line that you can't (laughs) cross over. Right, right. And I think, I think they really captured that well. Oh, definitely. Um, The elephants, the animation was like what can i say about it it's like it's absolutely amazing and it it that was actually kind of a long process of of kind of practicing elephants to get it right i think that in dumbo they didn't quite have it down yet the elephants were cute in their own way but they they didn't have that heaviness that an elephant really has they they were a little too bubbly mm-hmm. a little too squash and stretch you know they yeah. still hadn't gotten out of that and then they practiced again with a short subject from 1961 which i mean if you watch that and then watch the jungle book you know they took they, this was practice for the jungle book it was called goliath the second mm-hmm. and it had almost that exact same thing with the elephants marching and it's pretty much like the practice for this. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time they got around to the Jungle Book, they had it down perfectly. I can't think of another instance of an elephant being animated so perfectly. Right. In right. fact, all of the animals in this movie, mm-hmm. the, the movement of the two cats, Shere Khan and mm-hmm. um, 
Bagheera. And Bagheera, I mean, mm -hmm. that looks so real. I mean, I if you own a cat, you know how they move, and they caught that I own a cat, so, I mean, I see those movements in my cat. They caught that so perfectly. And the thing that really is amazing about Shere Khan specifically is the stripes. Yeah. Because they not only had to animate the musculature and the movement of the cat, they had to move the stripes around. Mm -hmm. As he turns, the stripes had to turn. I mean, can you imagine how, like time-consuming and crazy and like it would drive me crazy to try to draw all those stories. <laughs> I can't even imagine and it's pretty much it's flawless yeah how they did it so what are some of your takeaways from the animation oh I what I really liked is one of the things that I've noticed the last time that I watched it was the background and how it's such a beautiful jungle but it's muted yeah. So yeah. it really makes the characters stand out more because right. they're not fighting with the background. But right. and it looks like it everything belongs together and it fits perfectly. So you still yeah. feel like that's a nice, wonderful, warm, lush jungle. Right. And it's also very realistic. I mean it yeah. doesn't look like it's not stylized. Right. It it looks like a real jungle. Even though it looks like a drawing of a jungle. It yeah. doesn't look like... Like in Bambi, I would argue, a lot of the, the forest scenery is very stylized. and But in this, they really wanted it to look like a real jungle. And mm -hmm. I think they captured that for the most part. Oh, yeah, they did. You know, like a lot of... Like some of the scenery, like you talked about 101 Dalmatians, the background is like... It just hits you in the face in that movie. Yeah. But in this right. one, it's very soft and it's subdued it's just perfect like the way that the the characters are overlaid on top of the background i loved it right so critical reaction to this film of course this came out only a few months after walt disney had passed away so everybody was the critics were like really warm to this film mm -hmm. not that they shouldn't have been Right. But, I mean, everyone kind of saw this as Walt Disney's last hurrah. And they were very positive about this story. People would say, you know, it's nothing like the books, but who cares? It's fun. You know, right. when do you know critics to say something like that? They generally right. don't. <laughs> they generally criticize you for not being the same as the book. Um, so, what's interesting is... It was the, I think it was the number four top box office of that year. And it was actually um, Gregory Peck, who was a, a dear friend of Walt Disney. He actually tried to get this nominated for Best Picture, but mm -hmm. it, he wasn't successful. Animation has always kind of been a second-class citizen when it comes to the Academy Awards, yep. so... Only once has an animated picture been nominated for Best Picture, and that was Beauty and the Beast. Right, right. and it'll never happen again because now they have a separate category for it. Mm -hmm. Although, people ha are arguing that Coco should be nominated. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. What if it wins both? <laughs> that would be awesome, because it deserves it. <laughs> right. So, um, also, The Bare Necessities, like we said, was nominated for Best Song, but it lost to... Uh, I would argue it's a good song, but 
it's not really as remembered and as loved as the bare necessities right is who sings I mean, the song like what is playing more likely or more often in people's right. minds and stuff yeah right i mean everyone knows that song yeah most people i mean i know the song talk to the animals but i would venture to say a lot of people of younger generations probably have never heard that song yeah and they have heard the bare necessities mm -hmm. and i do like the song talk to the animals but it's no bare necessities. I don't really understand why that one over right. the bare necessities. Because also Rex Harrison doesn't really sing. He like talk sings. Right. So <laughs> there is a great version of it by Sammy Davis Jr. That oh yeah. I really like yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's not the version that was nominated. Right. Right. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. The Academy Award always had this this thing for Rex Harrison. Hmm. Because the My Fair Lady, and, yeah, I don't know. Like he was in the Anna and the King of Siam, and I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> that being said, <laughs> after the Jungle Book um, in 1968, they released a record album called More Jungle Book, and it had some additional songs, and it had Phil Harris. And Louis Prima reprising their roles. And uh, Mowgli was uh, actually performed by a female this time, Jenny Tyler, who <laughs> um, actually she did a lot of like little boy voices for Disneyland Records. You probably would recognize her voice if you heard it. Anyway, the Sherman Brothers actually wrote a couple new songs and they were featured in, in that record album. And so... Then, in the 90s, several of the characters from The Jungle Book were featured in a Disney television series called Tailspin. And they had Baloo and King Louie and Shere Khan were all in that as regular characters in that series. They had different actors doing their voices because by that time... The original actors were gone. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, the actors who did their voices for that series still do their voice. I don't know who they are specifically, but they are still doing their voices, and they're pretty close to the original. I would say that the Baloo is really close to Phil Harris mm -hmm. that they used for that series. And then in the um, 2000s, they actually released uh, a sequel to the Jungle Book called Jungle Book 2. It was a theatrical release, but it wasn't a Walt Disney animation. It was a Disney Toon Studios, which is kind of like the second tier of Disney animation. It's not quite the premier Walt Disney. It's kind of one notch lower. It's not quite made for video, but it's not quite, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of halfway between. Yeah. Um, that was not really very successful. Before that, they actually in the 90s did an all-live-action version of The Jungle Book, which was more based on the original Rudyard Kipling story, and it had very little to do with the animated film. It was just kind of a serious live-action film. It was for kids, but it was called The Jungle Book Mowgli's Story, and I think that was from, like, 98 mm -hmm. um, or so. Yeah. But then, just last year... 
they did a CGI and live action version of The Jungle Book, which was more based on the original Disney, but had a lot more elements of the original Rudyard Kipling. But it definitely was the same basic story as the original Disney cartoon version. And um, that was a very big success. And um, it also had some of the original songs from the original animated version that were incorporated into it. I really enjoy it. Did you like the 2016 version? I actually haven't watched it yet. Oh, well, you should because <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Is it? Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. I mean, I didn't really like uh, Christopher Walken as mm. King Louis. I thought that was an odd choice <laughs> but i and and i but i did like bill murray as baloo i thought he did well mm-hmm. um but th- what's interesting is they call it a live action film but the only thing live action it looks like live action but it's not it's all cgi mm-hmm. like everything in that film except for the little boy who played mowgli was cgi Right. Everything. Hmm. The backgrounds, the jungle, the character, the animals, everything. There was nothing in that movie that was not animated, and yet they call it a live-action version <laughs> because it looks like live-action, but it really isn't. But anyway, the um, movie is interesting. The live-action, quote-unquote, movie is interesting because <laughs> they left it wide open mm. at the end where it could... Like, because Mowgli did not go back to the man village at the end of this film. Mm-hmm. He was still with the f- jungle characters. So they left it wide open for a sequel. So I don't know if they're good. They, there's been very little buzz about it, but huh? I, th- I could see a sequel happening maybe in a couple years. We'll see. Yeah. There's nothing been announced about it, but. Yeah. They're, wor- they're busy working on other live-action remakes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but um, what's interesting about the um, way they ended the live-action version is that's how the stories in the original Rudyard Kipling book ended. Because throughout the book, Mowgli would go back and forth between the man village and then he would go back to see the animals, and like he lived in both worlds. Hmm. It wasn't one or the other. He had like two worlds that he belonged in. So that's kind of how they left the ending of this live-action Jungle Book. As kind of had that same feeling. And um, if you go on YouTube, this is kind of my final say here, and then I'll let Ruth close us out. <laughs> but if you go on YouTube. There's a fantastic animated version of the Jungle Book from Russia. If you can deal with reading the, because <laughs> you have oh, to the read subtitles. The, mm-hmm. the subtitles, but it's a lot closer to the um, original Rudyard Kipling. In fact, it's really is the the book directly from Rudyard Kipling because it has the same episodic setup as the original book. And what's really fun about it is Bagheera is actually a female in that version. Hmm. And it's kind of fun. And I really enjoy it. And the characters look a lot more like what those animals would really look like. Like the um, the character that plays Baloo looks more like a sloth than a bear. Oh, that's okay. basically what he was supposed to be was a sloth. Mm-hmm. But it's from Russia... 
it's probably from the 70s and it's the animation is not disney it's a totally different style but it's still very good animation and it's very interesting to compare the story and the and the way the characters because the characters are very different in a lot of ways too than the way disney interpreted them Mm -hmm. so i would seek that out on youtube Hmm. so ruth I'll let you have the final say on The Jungle Book. Okay. Well, one of the things that I... Oh, I guess I... I mean, I kind of already always knew this, but what I really just noticed watching this movie again is that I just liked how all of the characters came in and helped each other. So whenever one of them was in trouble or, you know... Mowgli's in trouble, they all come and help him. Mowgli's not feeling, you know, he's kind of sad, you know, and depressed and feeling alone when he meets up with the vultures. And they're just willing to go and and help him and cheer him up. And then at the end, of course, you know, when Shere Khan is trying to get Mowgli, they all pitch in to help, you know, to keep him from getting Mowgli. So I just really liked the the sense of camaraderie that they all have for each other. They're all basically just meeting each other for the first time, but they're willing to basically sacrifice their life for one another. So I really liked that about all of these characters in this movie. And it's just something that you just don't normally think about when you're watching this fun-loving movie. Because you're right, it's not much of a story, but it is all about the music and it's all about characters. So that's why I'm bringing this up because this is one of the things, like a strong underlying, yeah, a strong underlying theme for all of the characters is that they all care about each other and they all are willing to help each other out of any sort of situation that they're in. And they're just all there to to be supportive and and to love each other. So I just really liked that. And, And they were very easily like, they didn't have any issues with just helping out and being there. And, you know, I just feel like we should have more of that in the world. So, you know, just take a little, you know, hint from Jungle Book and, you know, (laughs) put yourself out there sometimes because you just never know what's going to happen. Risk your life for a No, not exactly, but (laughs) 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 not that far. But, you know, just put a little love out there and just see what you get back because that's kind of what I feel like they were all doing. So, because Baloo... Baloo instantly falls in love with Mowgli. Like, right. and, as, as a father-son kind of a love. And then, and of course, Mowgli falls in love with Baloo like a father figure. And they just instantly are just tied together and they just have this bond. Like this unexplainable bond. And, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's just so amazing how they're able to show that in this animated movie. They really just, that just comes across instantly. So, I mean, this is a really amazing movie. So we didn't, we forgot to mention, and this will be how we close this out, actually. Sure. Uh, our favorite character, our favorite song, and our favorite scene. So I'll go first. So my favorite character is probably Baloo. And my favorite song is The Bare Necessities. And my favorite scene is I Want to Be Like You. (laughs) (laughs) So now that I took everything good, uh, Ruth can go. (laughs) Well, actually, I have a couple of different. So um, my favorite song is actually I Want to Be Like You. I really like it. It is true what you were saying earlier about the bare necessities. 
there are a lot of great songs, but you kind of lean, you lean more towards that one, and I lean mm -hmm. slightly more towards "I Want to Be Like You," because I just okay. love, I love the exchange between Baloo and King Louis, and. I mean, this is one of the songs that me and my brother and sister would always sing to each other. We would literally fight over the lyrics. No, he's saying this. No, he's not. He's saying this. You know, and and he's not yeah. really saying anything because all they're doing is scatting. But we would fight right. over it. <laughs> so I definitely grew up listening to this song, and I love that song. Yeah. So that's my favorite song, and it's also my favorite scene. I mean, I have to totally agree with you. That is the classic scene. We already talked about it, but. I mean, when you think of Jungle Book, that's what you think of, is that scene. Yeah. You know, right. Baloo and King Louie dancing together. Yeah, right. And then exactly. my favorite character, I do love Baloo. And I really, I like his character development. And of course, like I said, you just fall instantly in love with him. But I kind of identify a little bit more with Bagheera. So I'm going to pick okay. Bagheera. <laughs> All right. Well, I love I love them all. Yes, <laughs> of course. But if you have to pick, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed episode 86 of Jiminy Crickets. And be sure to check out our brand new sister show, The Jiminy Crickets News which comes out every other week between the weeks where we release this show every other week. Does that make any sense? <laughs> <laughs> so, Ruth, where can everybody find you on the web? Well, I am the co-host of a podcast along with my daughter where we watch and then discuss the Disney made-for-TV movies from the 80s called the Disney Sunday Movie Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook, and our website is DisneySundayMoviePodcast.com. And I'm on Facebook, I'm Ruthie Brown. And I'm on Facebook, I'm Chris Linden. That's spelled L-Y-N-D-O-N, as in Lyndon Johnson. I am also on Twitter at DisneyChris73, which is also uh, the Twitter handle for this podcast. So if you have anything to tweet regarding Jiminy Crickets, you can tweet me. And I have a website called DisneyChris.com. Home of the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour with over, drumroll please, 1,500 audio tracks. And also I have a channel on YouTube called DisneyChris.com, spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. And on there I do a bi-weekly update of the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour. And where can everybody find Jiminy Crickets on the web, Ruth? You can find all of our past shows on our website at jcricketpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also listen to us on iTunes at Jiminy Crickets, that's with an exclamation point, and be sure to leave us a five-star review. And we would love it if you would email your comments or questions to us at jiminycricketspodcast at gmail.com, and we would love to respond to those on our news episodes right please do send us questions and comments and emails because we plan to one of the reasons we split up the show into two shows is because we wanted to have more time and more opportunity to respond and to and not feel rushed so that we don't have time to respond to listener comments and questions and things so 
send us any questions you have, anything you want to add to our discussion, and we'll pretty much read anything and everything as long as it's G-rated on the show. (laughs) Keep it clean, folks. Family friendly. (laughs) Yes. This is a Disney podcast. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's keep it that way. So, Ruth, do you have any final words for today? I do. Look for the bare necessities. Thanks for listening. And always let your conscience be your guide. When your heart is in your dream.